So this week I'm going to continue our, our series on, on prayer <clears throat> as, we, as we're looking at. If you take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we'll be in verse, starting in verse 11 today. Uh, we're going to probably finish up the Lord's, uh, Lord's Prayer today is where we've been at. Um, but I want to take a moment and talk about, I've been talking about these, these markers um, of prayer. And, and when we talk about when we talk about markers, where prayer markers is, I'm not, I, I kind of was dealing with different words. Like I thought about like signposts, but I didn't want this idea of these things have to happen sequentially because they're not. We're talking about the ideas of, of, a, of a guide that leads us in, in the way we pray. Uh, if you're, you know anything about aviation, I remember uh, when I was wanting to learn how to fly and I was flying in a, in a small plane, the, the guy honed into a radio station that was uh, in our designation where we were supposed to be at, and he allowed that, that signal to kind of guide us in to that location so we'd know, where, so we'd know where, to, where to fly to. And it's the same idea. It, it's, it guides us. It's elements that are important to, to the aspect of prayer. Um, I think sometimes we uh, rel, uh, relinquish prayer to only the crisis moments. And sometimes I think when we do that, what happens is, is that we don't, um, we don't, experience the, the power and the, the strength of prayer where God intended in prayer because we only relinquish it to, to those moments of crisis. And yet when we talk about prayer, we realize there's so many more things that go involved with prayer. Prayer is, is a relationship. Prayer is about knowing the God who, who sent his son and stepped into our world and set us free that we might that we might walk in righteousness, that we might know the creator of the universe. So when we talk about prayer, we're talking about a relationship. When we talk about this aspect of prayer and relationship with our God, there are, there are aspects to, to that. Um, I don't know if you've ever met that person, you know, that the only time they want to talk to you is when they want something. You know, you always kind of, there's, an, it's horrible that I just said that because all of a sudden I just thought of people that, uh, that, I, that I know in my past, none present, right? But I can remember this one, several years ago, many, many years ago, there's this one guy, every time I see him kind of go out of his way to find me, I knew he wanted something. And I didn't enjoy that conversation. It was only about what I could give him right? And prayer is much more than that. We talked about that a little bit last week, or that it's not just a shopping list. Prayer, prayer is more than that. It's a relationship. It, God wants to hear from us. And we talked about that first marker we talked about as we talked about prayer is being faith, is that if you're going to pray, it's because you believe. You believe in who God is. You believe in an almighty God. Or else prayer is no more than what our adversaries or what those who oppose or an atheist would say is, oh, they're just, they're just praying just like a, like a kid who has that imaginary friend hoping that he would do something. Or, you know, prayers, you know, they just, they, you know, those, those people that pray, they just, they don't have any imagination to figure out the problem. They're not critical thinkers and figure it out for themselves. Uh, they just don't have any other plan. They're lazy because it's easier to pray than really solve the problem. Uh, on and on and on. But the reason we pray is because we believe. You, you, you're not going to pray if you don't believe. Otherwise, it's just meditation. Otherwise, it's just, it's just this kind of inward thinking of what I desire. But prayer is more than that. Prayer steps out and prayer says, I believe in an almighty God from everlasting to everlasting, full of majesty, glory, and power, who demonstrated his love towards us. 
in the sending of his son because he sent his son who took on the likeness and sinful flesh and went to a cross and bared upon himself the sins of the world that all who would believe on him would be saved. And because of, his, because of what he did on that cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, because he lives, I have faith that I know I live too. I know that he's coming again, right? So, I, so when we talk about prayer, you can't, take, you can't take faith out of that equation. You can't take faith out of that aspect of praying. So we also took, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at verses five through eight and the context in which we found the Lord's prayer that our Father who sees in secret knows our needs already. So we're not coming to God with a shopping list. He already knows our needs. We are trusting him that when we pray, we're trusting him that he knows what's best. Even when the answer doesn't come the way I think is best. It's an understanding and a belief in an almighty God. So then we also looked last week, we looked at a couple other markers. We looked at, at worship, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. It speaks of that personal relationship whereby he's our Father, and yet at the same time, it speaks of, of him on all of his glory and his majesty and, his, and, and, and who he is, but at the same time, he calls us in to be his children. He calls us in to, a, to his family. He is our Father. So it's an understanding of worship and recognizing that because it says in the very next phrase, hallowed be thy name where sacred be thy name. That's why I, I hate this OMG kind of stuff, right? Because I think we, we kind of just take down who God is because his name speaks who he is. When Moses said, going in to deliver his people out of Egypt, who do I say sent me? I am that I am. That's who I am. I'm God. I'm self-sufficient in all of who I am and all my glory. And so when we think about who God is, we need to, we need to hold his name sacred. We need to hold it holy. Then we talked about worship. And then we also looked at the kingdom aspect, that, that, that his will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as, as it is in heaven. So there's this aspect of where I understand that, that his purposes, his plans are good and right. And so I look and I long for that to take place. Well, when I recognize his kingdom and I'm gonna have kingdom-minded prayers, the first thing I have to address is me personally. I have to understand that I have to yield myself to him and that in order for his kingdom to come, his will be done, it needs to be done in my life, All right? And as I yield myself and submit myself to him. So, so we looked at those kingdom-minded prayers. Well, when you look at this prayer, and in a minute we're going to stand and we're going to say this prayer, you look at it and you see that it's Jesus, God's son, teaching his people how to pray. And, and how, how much of a blessing is that? That God, a loving, almighty God, wants us to pray, wants us to communicate with him. To him be the glory. So let's stand. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna say the Lord's prayer. We don't we don't do this a lot, but let's stand. It's in Matthew six verses nine through thirteen. This is the ESV version. Now, as we as we begin to 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 quote this prayer, as Jesus taught us to pray like this, I want us to understand a few things. I want us to understand this is God's word. This is God sending his son Jesus Christ and Jesus speaking to his disciples and teaching them how to pray. This is his words 
to us that we might know how we ought to pray when we pray. So we need to hold this in reverence and understanding the source and where it came from. I did not find this in the back of a book somewhere, but these are the words of God. And so when we speak them, let's speak them with reverence, with surrender, and then we'll pray together. Let's, pray, let's say it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you today. And Father, I just ask that we, as we gather together, your people, Father, those who belong to you, the church, that Father, you would prepare our hearts today. That, Father, you, your spirit would move among us in such a way that, Father, our hearts would be drawn to you. That, Father, in the midst of our, of our walks with you, that, Father, you would speak to us. And that, Father, we would be ready and willing to hear, God. Help us, Father, to break down the, the, the self of, self-centeredness that we would understand that God, you and you alone are sovereign and understand the power of prayer in our lives. So God, speak to us. And God, go past all of this, my own iniquities, my own sins, my own shortcomings, my own inabilities, God. Do not let them stand in the way that you might speak to us, your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking this morning in Matthew chapter 6. And we've gone through the Lord's Prayer up to verse 11. And in verse 11, we see the, the saying where Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. He begins to instruct us. Now, what's interesting is up to this point, the prayer has had everything to do or was always concerning God and who he is. And now there's a little bit of a shift. It's, it's a shift to the, to, the prayer, to the one who's praying and their personal needs. So how do we pray about those things that we have that are personal, that are personal needs? How do, we, how do we pray for those things? And the first thing Jesus teaches us is give us this day our daily bread. What's interesting is that word daily literally means the idea is to be sufficient for today. When we talk about give us this day our daily bread, the immediate marker that jumps out to me is the marker of dependence. Uh, It's the word that I'm using here, is that it's a prayer of dependence. You see, when we pray, we are saying, God, I cannot do this without you. I'm absolutely, I absolutely need you in all. God, you're everything. There's no way I can, there's no way I can make this or do this without you. That's what happens when we pray. Well, here's the other side of that coin. Prayerlessness, prayerlessness is saying, thanks God, but I got this. And man, we've all fallen into that. There's no, the point of what that's being said is not to put shame. The point of the reality where the truth of the statement is for us to realize that we might be encouraged to pray, that we need to be involved in prayer. Prayer is everything. When we talk about dependence, Prayer is absolutely everything. When you, look at the, when you look at the first century worker, they got paid daily. 
So every day they would do their work and they come to the end of the day, they got paid. You may even remember the uh, parable that Jesus gave of the, of the workers and the one that came in the morning and then the one in the afternoon, the one in the late evening, they all got paid the same. The one that was there in the morning said, hey, that's not fair. And you know, he's like, hey, you, know, you agreed on it. Well, there's a picture, there's a picture there of where they were getting paid daily. Well, if you think about it, if you had a, 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 a serious illness and you missed several days of work, it could be tragedy. So for them, it was very real, the, the absolute dependence that they had on God, that they would be dependent on him. And as I began to think about this, I began to think about dependence. And, and man, you know, here I am, I'm talking about dependence in a culture where self-sufficiency is glorified, where self-sufficiency is a virtue. That if you don't need anybody, if you're able to, you know, financially or you have the authority or whatever, that you don't have to address anybody and you can name your own way. And, you, you know, that's, that's kind of honored. I, I've had many people sit and say, you know, so-and-so, they, they can do whatever they want. Why? Because they have all this financial and, and, all, and all this. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I want to do whatever I want. Because I found in my life when I do whatever I want, I really mess things up. There's a dependency in our prayers. There's a dependency in what we trust him. When I go and I open the fridge in my house, and I don't know what yours is, mine is loaded. I don't have food for a day. I have food for a week, right? When I open my cabinets, there's tons of food in it. And what I realize is in our Western culture, our challenge is that when we open that fridge, that we begin to say, thank you. Thank you, God. When we open up that cabinet and we see all the food in the pantry, we begin to say, grace, grace, grace that God has provided. You see, the reality is that every good gift, everything that we have comes from him. The ability to work, the ability to earn is a gift of God. And, I, and I'm seeing it more and more, especially in our younger generation. I'm seeing it more and more in our culture where it's this idea of, why should I give God glory? I'm the one showing up to work. I'm the one that's doing all of that. Why do I have to acknowledge God? And that's self-sufficiency. And when we have abundance, many, many times, dependence become, kind of gets thrown over into the shadows, doesn't it? When we have, the, when we have abundance, many, many times, the, the, the aspect of depending on God kind of, and why? I, I watched I've watched this over and over again, even in my own life, that, you know, kind of when I have a lot of money in the bank account, I'm a little bit more confident in life. When I don't have any, I'm like, oh, no, where's it coming from? And, you know, what am I going to get my next, you know, next, you know, pay my next bill or whatever that case may be? Because what happens is, is that in our abundance, we become less dependent. And it, it isn't based on our abundance or lack of abundance. It's based on our dependence of who God is. And that we're depending on him. I've never had anybody come up and say, Greg, I really need you to pray over my retirement account. I've never had that happen. Now, probably after today, maybe I'll, no, I don't know. <laughs> Why? Because we have a tendency not to trust God with that. We make our plans and we lay them out. Is there anything wrong with that? I, man, this is not a statement about there's, there's something wrong in abundance. This is a statement about where our dependence is? Do we understand in our abundance where God has come from, what God has done? I've changed the way I pray over meals. I don't know about that. I was raised and taught 
Well, was, when I came to Christ, I was taught, you pray, what? God bless this food for the nourishment of our body, da 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 right? I really got tired of that prayer, to be honest with you. I kind of quit praying about it for a while I, because I was like, really? Um, and then you find out what's in our food and you realize, oh man, there's all kinds of poison there, you know, like really God's going to bless that, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know. But what happens is, is I've changed the way I prayed. As I started looking at my food and I realized, and I said, God, thank you how you provide every day for me in your abundance you've provided. Thank you for this food because it is an example of how you provide for me each and every day. There's a difference between self-sufficiency and dependence. Um, I don't know if some of y'all may remember my old truck. My old truck would drive down the road. If you rode in it, you heard every crank and you know, the doors rattled. And all. It was kind of cool, to be honest with you. And, I, and when I bought it, I bought it for next to nothing and I put a motor in it. I mean, I, that, it, was, it was a great truck. And then I was in this wreck and I got, a, I got a new truck and it was really nice. I mean, it doesn't rattle. I mean, we drive it on trips now and it's really nice. It's comfortable. Uh, I just, I, I love my truck. And I remember you know, consistently, just every time I was getting into it, God, thank you. I still do that to this day. I just say, thank you, God. Thank you. Walk into my house. Thank you, God, for shelter. It's a reminder of God providing for us. It's, a, it's, an, it's an attitude of dependence that we don't take anything for granted. Our, our culture is fragile. Our world is fragile. And, and something major could happen. And the next day, we would literally be praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. There's learning a dependence on him. And I think it's one of the reasons why sometimes when we run to God in the midst of a crisis and begin to pray, it seems like our prayers are so dry. It seems like God's not hearing our prayers. It's because we haven't learned how to be dependent on him. We only learn how to run to him when we want something. It's much more than that. You see, when we pray, it demonstrates our dependence on God. When we're praying, the very act of prayer causes us to realize that we are dependent on him. And when we pray, prayer increases our dependence on him. The more I pray, the more I realize how much I am dependent, how much I need him, that I need him for everything. And that when I pray, prayer is absolutely dependence on God. I brought a couple of quotes and First one's from John Calvin. It's actually a prayer of his, and I think it kind of engulfs this idea completely. John Calvin, this is, how, this is a prayer he had. Grant, almighty God, that we may learn, whether in want or in abundance, to submit ourselves to you, that it may be our only and perfect source of happiness, to depend on you and to rest in your salvation, the experience of which you have already given us, until we shall reach that eternal rest where we shall enjoy it in all of its fullness when made, when made partakers of that glory which has been procured for us by the blood of your only begotten son. Amen. I love this, that where he says, whether in want or in abundance. See, it's, it's, not, it's not how much we have or don't have, it's the attitude of dependence on him. The other quote I have is from Oswald Chambers and. I, I, I like this because he says, faith is deliberate. Notice this word, deliberate. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand 
all the time. When we're depending on God, it becomes a deliberate confidence in who God is that we trust him even though we don't understand the outcomes. You see, when we talk about prayer, prayer is dependence. It's absolutely everything. It's everything that we need in, that, in our survival of spiritually. He not only says this in verse, six, thir- uh, verse 11, but also then in verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, interesting word when he says forgive our debts. The idea of that word is, is literally sin. It, it's the idea whereby when we have wronged God, when we have sinned against God, it causes us to be bound. We owe a debt to him. When, when sin into the world, it threw humanity into a position of being a debtor. And the only the reason was is because they had trespassed against the holiness and the righteousness of God. We, humanity was created for God, yet what it did is it turned from God and it rejected God and it rejected his ways. And so sin entered in the world. And when it did, it, it just put man in bondage. It put us in bondage. And the only one to pardon humanity of their sins is God himself because the offense was against him. He was the holy one. He was the righteous one. And so it plunged us. So he says, when he prays, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, it's an understanding of what God has done that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection and the sending of his son and, his, and, his, and the fact that he lives, that he sets us free, that we are no longer We are no longer chained by sin and death, but we've been set free to live in righteousness, that we've been set free to know him completely. It's the gospel message. And so we begin to understand, hey, forgive us our debts. But then he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, that word we there is kind of emphatic. It really emphasizes the importance of the forgiving act of the one seeking forgiveness. So as one seeking forgiveness and seeking that God would forgive us, there's to be this act of forgiving. In fact, it's, it, says, uh, it says there, it doesn't say will forgive or should forgive. It says have forgiven. It's not a resolution of some future event, but it's, it's, it's an it's action already taking place. Good intentions aren't always good enough. In fact, if you look at verse 14 and 15 after the prayer, Jesus said, for if you forgive others, their trespass says, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's a real hard saying. I've looked at that many times over the years and, and have struggled. It's not, the, it's not the idea that by me forgiving somebody else, therefore I have this eternal life or this eternal reward. But the picture isn't, isn't that idea as much as it is the idea that I have an understanding by which I have been pardoned, by which I've been forgiving. And as a result of that, of, of God working that and bringing about forgiveness in my life, it causes me to extend forgiveness to others. It's, it's the picture whereby, whereby when I understand the pardon in which God has given, I simply cannot keep forgiveness from somebody else. So when I say that I cannot or I will not or I will never forgive someone, what am I done is I've, I've quit seeing the forgiveness in which God has given me and I'm only looking at the vengeful response of what I want for the other person. And when we're, 
when we've been forgiven and we're dripping with grace, how do we withhold grace from somebody else? Now look, I believe in boundaries. I'm a big believer in boundaries. Um, I, there's a difference between forgetting the, forgiving the debtor and forgiving the debts. There's an aspect of, of having boundaries in our lives that, that we hold and be careful how we did, but it doesn't give us the right to withhold forgiveness. That when we forgive, when we talk about praying and forgiving or a prayer of dependence, it's literally a picture of, of understanding what God has done for us. It's when we have a perspective of God's forgiveness for me or for myself and I understand that and what God has done for me, it humbles me. I don't know if it humbles you, but it humbles me. When I think about what God did in my life and the life that he took me out of and then he set me free that I no longer am a slave to sin and he set me free to live in righteousness. When I understand what God has done for me, how can I not extend forgiveness to someone else. It's a picture that, as I understand that, that I have this perspective of how God has so much forgiven me, it humbles me. It moves me with grace and it moves me with love. And therefore, I would extend that to somebody else. <clears throat> it's like in Matthew, I think it was Matthew 18. Let me look. Yeah, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, in the parable that Jesus gave of the unforgiving servant, where his master came and, and he owed a great debt and he begged the master and the master forgave the debt. Then he goes out and he finds someone that owes him money. And you know what he did? He demanded the payment. And when they begged and asked for forgiveness, and he didn't forgive them, but he had them thrown in jail. And so when his first master found out, what did he do? He had him thrown in jail. How can, you, how can you not extend the same forgiveness? And Jesus gives a, a, a tremendous warning at the end of that passage for not extending, extending uh, forgiveness. I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I was having a, I'm having a hard time because I had something happen to me this week and I was thinking about not sharing, but I, I really feel like it'll draw this picture in. So <clears throat> Tuesday, I got called for jury duty. I went in on Tuesday and I've gone 10 or 12 times and have never been called up to be a juror. Well, guess what? This time I got called up. I didn't just get called up to a civil case, I got called up to a fel felony case and it lasted three days. You know, it's, it's never easy going through something like that. And at the end, when it came down to it, we found him, we found him guilty and the guy's gonna spend the rest of his life in prison. That's really hard. I remember as I was sitting there and I was watching as the, as the uh, punishment was being spoken and I looked over at this, this man and I just saw tremendous brokenness. The weight of what he'd done, I don't know, maybe it was the weight of his punishment. I, who am I to speak in his heart? But I saw this tremendous weight, I mean this, this burden and just you can see it physically, you can see it on his face emotionally. And I remember in my mind, I was sitting there and all of a sudden my mind went to, wow, that's how I am before God. Before Jesus delivered me, before, the, before he redeemed me, before everything changed with the redemption, that's how I stood. I was, I was in bondage to, the, to sin. I was in bondage to, 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 to death. There was no way I could conquer. There was no way I could be set free. 
And yet, because of faith, God redeemed me and God delivered me and set me free because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And I've found, I found hope and I'm watching and this man has no hope. This man has, and yet at the same time, I'm sitting here and he's gonna spend the rest of his life in prison. And I'm sitting here saying, by his actions, what he did, he totally deserves it. I have no problems with that. Our actions have consequences. That's why I believe in boundaries. But at the same time, I was sitting there and I was seeing this brokenness. And then out of the, out of the, out of the family, one of the family members that was there yells out, I hope you burn in hell. Just screamed it really loud. And I could, I in that moment, I could understand all of the, the hate and the anger. And, and I, could, I, could, I could almost say justified, right? But I remember as I looked at him, I immediately thought, I hope he finds the salvation that I know in Christ. And I began to pray right there in the courtroom that God would bring someone that he might know Christ, that he might experience the forgiveness I've experienced. You see, when we're dripping with grace of God who has redeemed us and set us free, how can we withhold forgiveness? I'm not talking about consequences sometimes. But how do we withhold forgiveness? That, that we would pray that they would experience the forgiveness I have experienced. You see, when we talk about prayer of dependence, it is the most important part of prayer in many, many ways because it demonstrates our faith, our trust in who God is. It demonstrates that, that we also need to be dependent on him. And how do, we, how do we hold someone else? So many times I think the church today is more bitter and angry and we judge so quickly without forgiveness. And we go, well, what about the act? I understand the actions, but dear people of God, when it comes to prayer, should we not be praying? Should I not pray for that man who did horrific things Horrific. I still have to live with the words of what he has done. Horrific. Is God's love and grace too great that he can't save that man? God's grace can extend to him. And who am I to hold him in forever contempt? Does he, does he deserve his punishment? I, I believe he does. I believe he does. But we need to be a people of forgiveness and dependence. Jesus goes on in verse 13, and he says, and lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is kind of an interesting, the word temptation there, the very basic idea is, is to test. Does Jesus or does God lead us into into temptation, does he lead us to sin? We know from James chapter one, verse 13, that he does not. So what's he talking about here when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In fact, that word evil can mean evil or it can mean evil one. I kind of take it as making a reference to the evil one. Um, that's where I, I see this at. That, that we're to be delivered from him. And when it's used in context, where that idea of testing in the context of, of Satan, it's a picture of whereby Satan is, is testing people to, with, the, with the view of them failing. The best example I can think of is Job. 
When, when Satan said to God, hey, if you take away all these blessings, he's gonna curse your name. And Job was convinced he was gonna fail. And, pray, and praise God he didn't, right? It's the same picture that when the, when the prayer begins to understand that we're in a battle in the sense of how we walk in our spiritual lives, that we pray that God doesn't, doesn't lead us into certain situations, that he protects us. I, I do this all the time, right? Many of you all know me in here, right? You know, I'm, I've never been a good one to hide my weaknesses and my failures. I got, I got a ton of them. I'm pretty sure my list is as long as yours or longer. Um, I, I have a lot of them. And there's situations where I go into and I just say, God, please guard my mouth or guard my heart or guard my, why? Why am I praying that? Because I don't want to sin. I don't want to fall into that iniquity. And, 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 and sometimes, many times I, I end up doing that, right? Because it's, it's that idea when, when, when we talk about the, the worshiper facing this iniquity that we would, that we would not enter into that, to that biggest one. And I, I use driving a lot because I think we all relate to that or many people do. And so when I'm yelling idiot at somebody because of their driving habits, you know, and I'm sitting here going, I, immediately now what God is doing in my life is I'm going, God, forgive me. I know they're not an idiot. I know they're not an idiot because I just did that same action two weeks ago, right? It's, it's coming back to that realization of recognizing God in every aspect of our battle, which we're, which we're fighting. It's, it's literally a battle that every child of God is in. Do you realize that you're in a war? You're in a war. You're in a battle and you have an adversary that wants to absolutely destroy you. Every day I wake up with that. Every day I realize that. I'm, every time I drive, I especially know that, right? That I have an adversary that wants me to fail and to demonstrate that God isn't God in my life. I have an adversary that wants to take me under. And so I am very aware of the fact that we are in a war, we're in a battle. And prayer is absolutely key. You see, this next isn't just dependence, but the next word is, is uh, marker is warfare, that we're in a war. And we don't win that by ignoring prayer. If we don't pray, we're losing. Prayer is everything. If we're not praying, we become irrelevant in the battle. Our battle is not against one another. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers in spiritual places. And it's where prayer wins the battle, where it breaks down the stronghold. Prayer is absolutely essential in this battle. In fact, I saw this picture that, uh, that I got, and I, 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 had to, I had to get it for this point. Just let it speak to you. Here's a father praying over his son, and I started thinking about this. You know, Satan's just a... It, it causes so involved with our, I mean, we're running to everything and there's nothing wrong with running to everything. But if we as parents aren't praying, how do we win the battle? We, if we have all the activities, we get them involved in all the things, but if we're not praying over our kids, how do we win the battle? So this is speaking in regards to our, our kids and the, and the imagery that it has right here. But isn't it true in every one of our lives? 
It's not just praying over our kids, but it's praying over our family and over ourselves that God would give us victory in that everyday battle. I love this. I don't know if you can see it in the picture, but up here at the, at the oh, zoomed in. Wow, you didn't do that first hour. <laughs> wow, that really is kind of cool. I don't know if you can see, but you can see there's two angels and one's white and here's kind of a dark one and it's this picture of a spiritual battle where, where one, he's out his fist and he's holding his, his arm back and the other one's a fist and there's another arm out there. Dear people of God, we're in a war and this is where the battle's taking place and we win it, go back to the, we win it, go back to the, yeah, we win it by here. This is the power. This is the power of prayer that every single day we are in a war, we're in a battle. In fact, it's just like what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Don't turn there, just listen. You can look at it later. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. That person that has offended you is not where the battle's at. That we as Christians need to quit hating. That's not where the battle is. He says, it's, it's, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I want to go over to one other passage, and it's a passage you're familiar with. Don't, don't turn there. Just listen as I read. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. You're familiar with it. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The battle is here. The battle is right here. It is in prayer. There is a spiritual battle going on and it wants to destroy our children. It wants to destroy fathers. It wants to destroy homes. It wants to destroy you. And if you're not praying, you're losing. If you're not praying, you become irrelevant. If you're not praying, you are not gonna make it. And you're gonna say, oh, that Christian stuff, where God's not who he is, because you're not praying, and you don't understand the power of prayer in your life. A prayer of of faith and believing in Almighty God. Prayer of recognizing our Father in heaven. A prayer of recognizing thy kingdom come, that your will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. A prayer that's of dependence that we say, God, I need you every day. I need you to provide for me physically. I need you to provide for my my food and the abundance that I have. God, thank you that we would be a people who who seek forgiveness, but we forgive others. Because we've received forgiveness, that we don't hold grudges and we don't hold things. That we would be a people recognizing that we are in a warfare right there. That is the battle. We are in a war. And the way that we win that war is in prayer. And we don't fight against one another. We don't fight against those people that we work with. We don't fight against those people that are in our government and our civil. We don't fight against them, but our battle is right there. It is spiritual and it is evil. 
and our evil, the evil one is the one who wants to destroy us. And the way that we break down strongholds is in prayer. It's where it takes place. That we would no longer be satisfied to not pray. He goes on and he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery or the flaming darts of the evil one. He's after you. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen to this. This is where we're talking. In light of all of those things that you're just putting on, truth and righteousness, the gospel on your feet, the sword Then he says this, verse 18, praying at all times, praying at all times, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert, keep alert. Dear people of God, it is time for our church to be about prayer that we don't put it on the shelf anymore. That we are a people that are going to pray. That we're going to be alert in prayer. There is a spiritual battle and they're ready to destroy us. And we don't win it in our good works. We win it in prayer. We don't win it in our abundance. We win it when we pray. And it's time that NBC is a church about prayer. And he says, keep alert with all perseverance when it doesn't feel right. When you don't think it's true, when you give up, you work harder. You persevere. There's sheets back there with studies about prayer that I've done. Grab them, get the blue and the yellow one underneath the camera back there. Study, make prayer, get a book on your shelf, read a book. You keep studying about prayer and you don't give up, you persevere and you keep alert in prayer, making supplication for all the saints. That's how we win the battle. That's where it takes place. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's where the battle is. In closing, I want to read a quote by Leonard Leonard Ravenhill. He was a guy that, English author, author and writer, Christian. He made the statement, if we are weak in prayer, we are weak everywhere. But he said this. It's kind of lengthy. Just listen. He said, no person is greater than their prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit cannot be the shop window to display one's talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church today is in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. 
Many interferers, but few intercessors. intercessors. Many writers, few fighters. Failing here, we fail, fail everywhere. Can we deny in the modern church setup that the main cause of anxiety is money? Yet that which tries the modern church the most trouble the New Testament church the least. When we pray, the plates are passed. When they prayed, the place was shaken. In the matter of New Testament, spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-breaking prayer never had so much been given to so few. He's referring to the New Testament believers. For this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. You see, we do it or we die. We pray or we become irrelevant and we die. Let's pray. Father God, may your spirit move among us. Father, that we do not sit here and feel shame, but that, Father, we feel encouraged with the charge to arms. Father, next week I know I'm gonna be dealing with other aspects of prayer, but I pray today that we get a taste of the absolute necessity of prayer. That today, Father, our adversary is concerned. It's, it's like I it's like, uh, saw the movie this week in um, uh, Midway and that Japanese commander who said, I'm afraid we woke in a sleeping giant. May our adversary today be concerned because he feels like he w we woken up a sleeping people who are now ready to pray. That prayer becomes everything in our lives. That prayer is the key to victory, that we would not be defeated, but Father, we by faith, believing, would worship you, that God, we would recognize and have kingdom-minded prayers that lined up with you, that we would be a people who pray in complete dependence on you, and that Father, we would be a people who understand that every day we're in a battle, we're in a war, and we need to be praying. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us, your people, and do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.